0: Hey, so we've been uh, talking about rest for the last few weeks, and i, I got to tell you that for many of us, it's, uh, it's been life-changing. I've had so much wonderful feedback and people talking about how their lives have been changed, so we're thankful for that. Uh, but i got to tell you, um, man, it's hard to talk about rest uh, after this. Did anybody see the game yesterday? Yes. So here I am, 10 after 11, pastor of a church. Supposed to be preaching the next day, and here I am, wired. Anyway, no, I can't be, keep calm. The Jets are on. Uh, We've got to keep praying for this team. <laughs> and uh, how many believe that the, that the prayers of the people in Winnipeg are greater than the prayers of the people in Nashville? <laughs> Woo-hoo! I was debating whether I should wear a white shirt or not, but this will have to do. Yeah, you know, I like the way everybody's getting into this. Did you see this one? Environment Canada. Outlook for Southern Manitoba. White out. I thought it was good. But here's my favorite. So all in favor, say aye. Uh, very good. Excellent. I'm glad we're all on the same page on this. I will just leave that up for a minute. How's that? We've come to the end of our series in Hebrew 4 about rest. And I think by now you understand that when we talk about rest, we're not just talking about... Let me just move this out of the way here. We're not just talking about about getting more sleep. There's a lot of people who get lots of sleep and it's just not enough. Uh, in fact, it's one of the marks of depression, isn't it? And yet, with all that sleep, they still don't have that internal rest. Some of us think that if we live stress-free lives, then that, in fact, will help us, that maybe then we'll finally be at rest. But the fact of the matter is, is that God's peace and his contentment should be ours regardless of our circumstances. We said that. We can be happy, we can be content in spite of our circumstances. Let me just illustrate that. So the magazine psychology today, some of you have heard of it they they surveyed fifty six thousand Americans and every asking everybody what what does it take to make you happy? Their answers varied uh, but here's what here's what they discovered as they were going over these results they they discovered that most of the things that people mentioned is the thing that makes them happy were things that had to do with external circumstances. Almost nobody talked about what actually goes on inside the heart. So let me just give you an example. People believe that once I, once I get out of school, once I graduate, then I'll be happy. Once I get accepted into university, then I'll be happy. Once I get my job, then I'll be happy. Once I get married... Then I'll be happy Uh, once I have kids. Then I'll be happy once the kids leave home. (laughs) Then I'll be happy. There's a mother there laughing a little too hard. (laughs) Here's the thing. The Bible tells us that happiness, blessedness comes... Not through our circumstances, but in spite of them. It comes through surrendering to God's will. And it's critical that we understand that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, then you need to understand that being a Christian means that you are obeying Jesus. You are following his steps all the time. You are doing what Jesus would do. You are doing what Jesus wants you to do. In fact, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. You know that scripture. It's an inside job. Apostle Paul is speaking to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy, just a young man being mentored by the Apostle Paul. Timothy's job is to establish a church and talk. I'm going to tell you, being a pastor is tough work. I've got three kids. I want to ask my kids, do any of you want to go into the ministry? All of them said, nah, it's tough. It's really, really tough. So here's Timothy, young man. Remember, there's no books out. There's no seminars out. There's, there's no seminary. And Paul's job is to, is to train this young man, to help him. And here's what Paul says to Timothy, and it's fantastic. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Or as the NLT puts it, it's great wealth. How do we get that contentment? How do we get that sense of peace? the happiness that you're supposed to have if you're a Christian. I'm not talking about the fake stuff, the syrupy kind of stuff. I'm talking about the real, genuine peace in your heart, that sense of rest. I'm going to tell you, God's rest is peace. God's rest is a sense of happiness and joy. God's rest is faith in the Father, trusting Him that He's got everything in His hands. Folks, that's why I keep going to the Bible. I want to, I find myself encouraged in the Lord. Some of you heard that term, encourage yourself in the Lord. The way I encourage myself in the Lord is go to the Scripture and let God speak to me. We always say that the Bible is, in fact, God speaking to me. When I pray, I'm speaking to God. But when I read the Bible, God is speaking to me. So, we understand that peace comes from God, that happiness, faith, it's all the fruit of the Spirit. But what happens? What happens when we lose that peace? What do we do when we have trouble resting? What do we do if the rest of God is eluding me? I know many of you here today are believers. Some are not yet. But if you're a believer, I know how you feel. You're saying, Pastor, I don't want to fall. I don't want to lose the happiness of God. I want to have the joy of the Lord in my heart. But Pastor, I'm having trouble resting in God. I've given my heart to Jesus. And I go to church, but I'm still restless. I'm still discontent. I don't have the peace that you're talking about. Well, let me just remind you of what the writer of Hebrews says. Remember, we are studying Hebrews chapter 4. Let's move past that verse there, if you don't mind. So let us do our best to enter that rest. I want you to see those words, do our best. Let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, then we will fall. The children of Israel, as you know, because we've been talking about this for the last number of weeks, in fact, Hebrews chapter 4 references Israel, and the fact that, that God wanted to bring them to the place of rest. That place of rest is called the promised land. Remember Israel? Was in captivity in Egypt, and God delivered them through many miracles, through plagues and wonders and signs, and the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And God led Israel very miraculously through the wilderness. Course of about two and a half years, God delivered to them the Ten Commandments and the, the whole worship system of the Old Testament. God protected them, He fed them manna and water and meat. Gave them all that they needed. They didn't have to go and scrounge for it, but God delivered it to them. Really, really showed and proved to them that he was a loving father that cared for them. And you you know the story. And they come to the borders of the promised land. Ten, two spies say, yes, we can do it. Ten spies say, no, we can't do it. Everybody, rather than believing God, rather than trusting God, they believe the ten spies that can only see disaster before them. Well, God says, okay, that's it. That was your last chance. You are now going to be wanderers for the rest of your life. And then 40 years later, there's a new generation that was ready to enter the promised land. I just want to stop and consider this for a moment. The story of Israel, really, if you look at it from beginning to end, is a story about them coming to the borders of the promised land and almost entering. They almost enter, then they enter. And once they've entered, then they're evicted, they're kicked out, and then they come back in again. You know the story. They go into exile, and then they come back again. They're always in and out of the promised land. They're in and out of rest. And as a kid reading that, I thought, man, they're sure stupid. Why do they keep doing that? And then I became a man. And I began to recognize that nuts, I do the same thing. So do you. You know what I'm talking about. You're in that rest and you're out of that rest. What's going on there? Well, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 tells us in that second sentence, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The reason that you don't have that peace in your heart, the reason you don't have that rest is because somewhere along the line you decided you're not going to do God's will, you're going to do your own will. And, you know, we, we... we, we throw that term around so easily, doing God's will. But I'm going to tell you, at the end of the day, we are called to obey God and obey his will and his word. We've got to be careful about doing the will of God. Now, we look at Israel and we think, man, if only someone could have warned them. If only they would have read their Bible. But, oh, yeah, they didn't have one. But you do. You've got a beautiful copy of the Word of God, I'm sure, in your home. Maybe you've got, maybe you're like me, I've got about, I don't know, I must have 10, 20. You start adding them all up. All the kids will each have one, and they had, I had one when I was younger, and I got I've got one 10 years ago. I got another one, I got different versions, I got lots of Bibles. But if you're not reading them, they're absolutely useless. So here's what we got to do. We want to... If we want to enter God's rest, then the Bible says we've got to do our best to enter that rest. But too many people have this idea, you know, I became a Christian, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to let God do his thing. But I'm going to tell you something. A relationship with God requires that you do something. There's action on your part. Let us do our best. To enter that rest. God will do his part to bring rest and joy and peace and happiness to your life, but the Bible's clear you gotta do your part. It's a partnership, it's a relationship. I thank God for my wife. But I tell you, we have a great marriage, not just because I sit back and I let my wife wait on me. Hey Gloria, get me a cup of coffee. Alan, it's one foot from your elbow. Get it yourself. <laughs> Gloria, wash my clothes. Gloria, get me something to eat. Or vice versa. Alan, take out the garbage. Alan, rub my feet. <laughs> Partnership. God does his part. We do our part. I've got a solid marriage because I do my part and Gloria does her part. And we work hard on having a great relationship. Why is it that we don't apply the same diligence... Our walk with God. So let us do our best to enter that rest. If we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And of course, that's what happened to that first troop that came from Egypt. The word of God, my friends, is given to us to help us with our rest. And so that's why we read in Hebrews chapter four. And But can I just say this? When I, I've always read Hebrews chapter four, and I get to verse twelve and thirteen, and I think, man, that's a strange thing have in the midst of those verses on rest. But here's, here's what I came to realize. I came to understand that it's the Word of God that helps us maintain our rest, to keep that rest in our lives. In fact, if you read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6, you discover that part of, integral to your relationship with God is your interaction with the Word of God. When you became a Christian, probably few people said anything to you about that. In fact, maybe they said, you know, sort of off the cuff, oh, by the way, don't forget to read your Bible. But when we read Hebrews chapter 6, 6, verses 4, 5, and 6, it's integral. It's as important in your life as the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not interacting with the Word of God, if you're not allowing the Word of God to get a hold of your life and to transform you, then, my friends, your Christianity is faulty. It's lacking. In fact, you're probably, right now, in very desperate condition spiritually. To be a Christian, Hebrews 6 tells us, means that you are interacting with the Scripture. You're allowing the word of God to transform you. So look what it says here in Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Did you hear that? Folks, if you and I are going to learn what it means to walk in God's rest and know his peace and his happiness in our life, then we're going to have to understand that it's going to take a true dedication, a true commitment to interacting with the word of God on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Hebrews 11.3 tells us, Only we who believe can enter God's rest. Only we who put our faith in Jesus Christ can enter that rest. But folks, it doesn't stop there. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. It starts with faith in Jesus. And then it continues with us interacting with his word. How do we keep that faith in Jesus Christ? What do we need to do? What do we need to... What do we do when we're not feeling his peace? What do we do when we know that our lives aren't right? You know, the, the red flag is up. We talked about that last week. I'm not, I'm not acting properly. I'm not functioning properly. I'm not thinking properly. I'm, I'm, I'm angry I'm bitter. I'm, I'm resentful. I, I have no interest in church. These are red flags that you're not where you need to be. You're not living in his rest. And maybe you're here this morning. You've got that nagging in, inside of you. You know things aren't good. Maybe you got that sense of emptiness. You think, man, I used to be so on fire for God. What happened to that? You know something's missing. Something's wrong. Well, the Bible tells us that we need to come under the knife of God's Word. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit between joint and merit exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. If you know you're not where you need to be spiritually then what you need to do is you need to pick up your Bible and start reading it. You say, Pastor where should I start? Well, I always tell people start in the Psalms. Start in the Psalms and man, it's full of devotional material that will, will just get you right where you're at. Start reading through the New Testament. Start studying the life of Jesus. I heard one pastor say that when he became a Christian, his pastor told him, start Start reading the letter, all the writing that's in red. In some Bibles, all the words of Jesus are in red. But you need to start interacting with Scripture. Turn off the TV. Turn off your praise and worship music. For some people, their praise and worship is the sum total of their devotions. They say, well, there's the Word of God is mentioned in there somewhere. Turn it off. Get away from everybody. Do what Susanna Wesley did. In the 1700s, when her kids were bothering her, she just picked up her skirt, put it over her head, and now she's alone. (laughs) Nobody around, just her and God. But I'm going to tell you, that's what you need to do. You need to come under the scalpel of the great surgeon, our God, who loves us and knows how to show us, knows how to reveal to us what's right and what's not right in our lives. You know, i got to say, it's been so good having the color with us. Uh, They were wonderful last time and fantastic this time again. But i got to remind you that the answer, folks, to your lack of peace is not by turning on CHVN or any other Christian radio station. It's not by listening to obscene Christian worship music. That's not where it begins. It begins in the Word of God. You've got to allow truth to penetrate your heart. You're saying, Pastor do you have something against worship music? No, you're going to see in just a moment quite the contrary. But what I'm going to tell you right now is that there is no substitute for you picking up your Bible and reading it on a regular basis. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's not like reading the Lord of the Rings or Harlequin romances. Do they still have those? Don't anybody admit to reading them. The word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's transforming. It's the power of God to make us the kind of people that we need to be. The way to get peace or rest back is to come under the power of the word of God. Now, I'm going to just tell you right off the bat that when, when you open yourself up to the word of God and allow the word of God to speak to you, Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit moves in and starts applying it to your heart. It starts revealing things to you about yourself. All of us sitting here today, we know of people uh, that, you know, they need tweaking in their personality. How many know what I'm talking about? Just nod. But don't point anyone. (laughs) Yeah, there's, yeah, don't do that. And of course, you can't tell people what their faults are because you're not the Holy Spirit. And people, if you try to tell them what's wrong with you, you're going to say, well, who do you think you are? You've got no right to judge me. And in a sense, they're right. But I'm going to tell you this. If you're coming under the power of the word of God and allowing it to expose your innermost thoughts and your desires, if you allow the word of God to show you what's wrong in your life, folks, that's the beginning of transformation. That's the power of the word of God. alive and powerful. It has an effect. It may not be immediately discernible. Sometimes it's not. With me, I oftentimes it's very discernible. And I think, wow, it's just exactly what I needed to hear. Other times, I've read it. I prayed and asked God to do his work in my life. I'm not sure uh, what benefit it will have in my life, but I know it does. It's like drinking a cup of coffee or having a can of Coke It absolutely has an effect on you. It's not necessarily discernible immediately, but something begins to happen. So you come to the Word of God, which is God's mighty scalpel. Picture God as a surgeon with a scalpel, ready to cut out of your life all the garbage, all the nonsense, all the the hatred, the unforgiveness, all those things in your life that are not acceptable to Him. Like that lack of faith that disobedience, that lack of discipline, that sin. You know, uh, 16 years ago, someone reminded me of this uh, earlier. Uh, I, my dentist discerned that I had a growth in my jaw. And so they sent me for all kinds of tests and, and x-rays. And once they've x-rayed it, they discovered that I actually had a tumor in my jaw. And while they were there x-raying all that, they also discovered I had some crazy wisdom teeth that weren't too smart. And they were growing in sideways. Rather than growing straight, they were growing this way. So they said, look it, uh, what do you want to do? I said, well, what are you asking me for? I'm not a doctor. I didn't quite ask it like that. But I said, I want you to go in. I want you to do something about it. So that's what they did. They went in. They removed my, my wisdom teeth that were wonky. And they drilled into the side of my head. And I'm going to tell you, I was out of commission for eight weeks. And when they drilled into the side of my head to see if it was malignant or not, thank God it wasn't. They introduced Bell's palsy, so half of my face was—I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. It looked like my whole this half of my face was full of Botox. I looked really good on this side. <laughs> Someone asked, "Would you do, would you do it again?" Absolutely, without a doubt. It was the right thing to do. Come under. The scalpel, the drill, the sword. Do whatever it takes, I said. Use a saw, whatever you need to do. But get in there and deal with this. I want peace of mind. I want a sense of rest. Now, there's the spirit of God speaking to you right now. Because here's what God wants to do. He wants to bring back to your joy. He wants to bring joy back to your marriage. He wants to bring joy back to your family, your relationship with your kids. He wants you to have a sense of contentment. That sense, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out right. You heard some bad news? Don't worry. God's got it under control. Your rest comes from God, not from your circumstances. And it comes, my friends, by coming under the power of the word of God and allowing him to speak into our hearts those things that we need to hear. You know, Israel's story, they're coming to the promised land, they're leaving the promised land, they're being kicked out of the promised land, they're in exile. Nehemiah was a leader that God raised up. Israel has been kicked out of the promised land because of their sin and disobedience. They lost their rest. They're wanderers again. And God says, okay, Israel, you've learned your lesson. You've been punished long enough. He raises up Nehemiah. He says, Nehemiah, bring the Israelites back to the promised land. And that's what they do. And when they get back to the promised land, they start establishing their city, they start building up the temple, they start building the walls of the city to keep it safe. But Nehemiah was smart because he knew that their biggest threat was not the external enemies, the biggest threat was the internal. It was sin, the threat of sin. And so you know what he did? He called Ezra, the scribe. He says, Ezra, we're building this city up and we're doing a good job at protecting ourselves, but there's something far more important. We've got to make sure that our internal life is what it needs to be. So would you help us? And so the Bible says that, that Ezra came with the word of God. turns out the word of God was their greatest weapon against evil, against sin, against the the devil, against the attacker, against the enemy. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It says, they asked Ezra, bring out the book of the law of Moses. That's the Bible, in case you don't know. Which the Lord has given Israel to what? Obey. When God gave Israel the word of God, it was so that they would obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law, just like what you're doing. And after he'd read the book of the law, it's, We skip down to verse 6. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. Let's try that. Let's try it one more time. As they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Hey, listening to worship music is fantastic. And especially the color everybody go buy a couple CDs and if you don't have money with you, go online to iTunes and get it there. But here's what's going to happen, friends. Worship music is never supposed to be a substitute for your interaction with Scripture, allowing God to speak to you through Scripture. What worship music does is it, it affirms and confirms the Word of God. It drives home the truth of God's Word. It was never meant as a substitute for your walk with God. You have to open your Bible up. You have to start reading it. You have to start using it. Somebody asked me the other day, Pastor Al, what should I do? I'm not a great reader. And I said, open up the Psalms. Start reading through the Psalms one at a time. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Read through a chapter of Proverbs every day, one for every day. And that person started doing that and they, they, now what they're doing is they're texting me, Pastor, did you see this verse? Did you see this proverb? That proverb? This is amazing and I can't believe this is here. It's fantastic. What's going on? The word of God, which is alive and powerful, is digging in now and revealing the truth and cutting away the nonsense, the garbage from that person's life. And I'm going to tell you folks, is what I do all the time. Allow his word to penetrate my heart. Because God has got so much work to do in Alan Duncalf yet. You would not believe it. Don't look at me like that. You're the same. God's got a lot of work to do in you too. Folks, this is why we encourage people to have a daily walk with God. We call it a habit, a discipline. Something you have to do on a daily basis. Because we know this, is that if you are praying and reading your Bible every day, then we know that you're going to stay strong. If you're coming under the two-edged sword of God who's, who's exposing your innermost thoughts and desires, we know that God, by His Spirit, then can transform you and can change you. That's why we tell you, habit number one, you got to do it. Or It's a matter of life and death. You are not going to make it. This is why we tell you, you got to come to church every Sunday. You have to hear the preaching of the Word of God. This is why we tell you to be in a small group so that with your small group, you're interacting with one another and the Word of God. This is why at the beginning of this year, we asked everybody, please try to read through your Bible in 2018 because we know that when you interact with Scripture, that's transforming because it is powerful and it is alive. It's got the power to transform you. Somebody at our small group said to me, Pastor Allen, I'm really having a hard time retaining what I've read. I don't quite remember it all. And I said to them, Hey, I can't remember what I ate yesterday, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop eating. You may not remember what you read yesterday, but I'm going to tell you folks, it's the Word of God is alive and powerful. It starts interacting with your spirit in a way you don't know anything about. The same way that your food interacts with your body and speaks to your body. And nourishes your body. That's what the word of God does. There's a reason why people. Why God says that. We do not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Because that is what transforms us. I just want to share with you one more verse. Psalm 119 verse 35. The writer of the psalm says. God. This is his prayer. Make me walk along the path of your commands. What's the path of God's commands? It's his word. God, make me. Work in me. So that I'll walk along that path of your word, of the Bible. For that is where my happiness is found. You've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places. The writer of Psalms gives us the secret, the answer. Husbands and wives, if you're not reading the Bible together... Can I encourage you to do that? Start reading it together. Start reading a psalm together and praying. Praying through that psalm. God, apply it to our hearts. Transform us. We don't want to remain the way we are. We want things to keep getting better and better. Just down with me, please. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth, Lord, that sets us free. Thank you, God, that your word is a lamp unto our feet, shows us where to go, what to do. Thank you, God, that your word and your spirit work together in us to make us the people that you want us to be. God, we pray right now that we would be open to what you want to do in us. God, your word says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have those who who love your law. Father, we pray that you would birth within us a fresh love for your word and that we would get get serious and be diligent about interacting with scripture every single day. And we pray that in your name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go read your Bible.